Hi, I'm Sue Alpers from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 35 and today, amongst other things, I want to talk about learning to read. I had someone stop by my blog in the week and she left me a comment about how I encourage my children to read in a natural way. Now, I can't say that I did that perfectly. I've made a lot of mistakes about that, but I do have a few ideas that I'd like to share. Also, I would like to talk about passions, how we like to immerse ourselves in our passions. And sometimes we can pick up passions and then when we feel satisfied with the depth that we have gone into, we naturally move on to something else and then we can return to that passion at a later date. And we've been doing some of that this week. We have just entered a Shakespeare phase and it's one of our big family passions and we're really enjoying ourselves as we watch and discuss Shakespeare. We haven't done that for a while. But the very first thing that I would like to talk about is blogging and podcasting. My daughter Sophie is a very enthusiastic blogger and video maker. She's 14 and we share a lot of similar type passions. So as she's writing blog posts, so am I. We ask each other how we're getting on, which blog posts were successful and which weren't, which we enjoyed writing, uh, which videos we enjoyed making, that type of thing. And if nobody else wants to read our blog posts or watch our videos, we know that we both have one other person who will go and give us some feedback on our work and enjoy what we have produced. It's the talking about feedback. Blogging and podcasting can be very lonely experiences at times. It's all very well when you get a lot of people rush over to your blog. All that time I spent writing that blog post was well worth it because a lot of people came over and read it. And I even have some feedback. People have left comments and it can be immensely satisfying to do that. We have conversations about certain topics, maybe the blog post or the podcast started a conversation and then people come along, read or listen and then add to the conversation and that's very, very enjoyable. But what happens when we write something or we record a podcast and very few people respond? That can be um, a bit discouraging and I've been talking about this with Sophie because I say to her sometimes, how's your blog going? Did anybody read your last blog post? And she might say, oh, look, hardly anybody visited my blog this week. Um, nobody read it. And we talk sometimes about what makes a blog or a podcast successful. Why do some people have no trouble at all attracting listeners and readers? And sometimes it can appear to be a bit of a mystery. Sophie says she knows a lot of teenage bloggers who have thousands of followers, and she doesn't. What are they doing right that she is not doing? 
doesn't really matter if we're successful or not. Should our success be rated on the number of followers, or the number of page views, or the number of plays of a podcast? Should those things indicate whether we are successful? I think, in one way, if that is our aim, is to connect with other people, then we could say sometimes we do fail. But the process of producing pieces of writing or audio can be satisfying in themselves. They can be wonderful learning experiences. If we concentrated too much on stats, we might be tempted to give up and not to write or to make podcasts. Sometimes. And that would be really very sad, not for other people, because if they're not coming to watch or read, it doesn't make much difference to other people. But it could be very sad for us, because we might want to give up and say, "Well, look, this is not worth doing." And by doing that, we would be missing out on an experience. It is a very, very satisfying learning more about podcasting or more about. Writing and to experiment with words, experiment with how to put a podcast together. Yeah, learn, experiment, and afterwards, even if no one listens or no one reads, no one can take away from us the creative experience, the learning experience. But I have to admit, it is lovely when people do stop by. They do give us a little bit of encouragement to keep on going, as I think everybody needs that every now and then. Just. To say, look, hey, I I enjoyed reading that blog post or listening. So this week, we've been doing a lot of writing. Sophie has been spending a lot of time on her computer trying to help Big Sister Imogen with a new blog that she has set up. It's a combined blog for a group of young writers. Imogen is the the leader of the group. She's organising the blog and the coordination of the group. And Sophie is being Imogen's right hand girl as they're sorting out template problems because Sophie. Has a bigger interest in HTML coding and template design than Imogen, and so Imogen has asked Sophie to help her sort out yeah little bugs that are in their template, which is preventing the blog from looking exactly how they would like it. So for the past few days, the house has been full of girls sitting around with their computers doing various things online, sorting out blog templates. Writing blog posts, making podcasts, making videos. I made a couple of videos myself in the week, and as I told you last week, it's Nano Rimo or National Novel Writing Month at the moment. So there's still several girls sitting at the computer finishing off their novels. Now Gemma Rose has surprised us all. She's well past her forty thousand word goal. She's heading towards seventy thousand, as far as I heard last. Sophie's still struggling a bit, but it's on target, and she should get to the end with her fifty thousand words. And I have no idea what Imogen's doing because I haven't asked. But yes, it's been a week of writing and other online things. Is this a typical week? Sometimes I get asked, "What is a typical day in your family?" As far as unschooling goes, I really think there is no such thing as a typical unschooling day. 
Different things happen on different days. Some weeks, the same thing happens on the same day for a few weeks, and then we might change. Our weeks will start to look different. So, this is、uh, very much a writing period that we're in at the moment, and we haven't actually learnt a lot about maths or science or history. Those type of things for a while, and not that I think this is the problem, but it would look nice if I could go to my Evernote Homeschool Records book and set out neatly all the different learning experiences that my girls are having, and to fit those into the categories that are required by the education department. Yet my records don't look very. Ordered at the moment, yes. Lots and lots of English, lots of computer technology, and creative arts. No maths, no science, no history, or what else? I can't think. But yes, we haven't got a nice spread over the subjects, and this might worry some people. They'll say, "Well, look, how are we going to prove to the education department that my children are learning all the six key learning areas?" But I find that it does even out over the course of the year that we get involved with a passion, and I have dozens and dozens of notes to write, to enter into the notebook on a particular subject, and then that subject will disappear for the next few weeks, and something else will take its place. But overall, my goals satisfy the education department. Now, one of the things that we are immersed in at the moment, apart from writing, is Shakespeare. I borrowed a DVD set called Shakespeare Uncovered, and I mentioned this in my last podcast. The episodes are available free to watch on PBS if you live in the right country. I think it must be something to do with the copyright, but we can't watch them in here in Australia. But you might be able to if you'd like to go over to PBS. Yes, we've been really enjoying these episodes. I've talked briefly about it last week, but since then, yeah, our Shakespeare passion has reawakened, and I have now ordered a set of DVDs with some full-length Shakespeare plays. Not that we haven't watched most of the plays already, but. We like to watch different versions of the same play, as many versions as we can, and we've sat down and watched maybe four or five different versions of Hamlet, one after the other, and not got tired of Shakespeare. After a while, when we are satisfied, then we're quite happy to put it aside and move on to something else. But yes, I think we're at the beginning of another Shakespeare passion. Now, one play we haven't watched at all is Richard the First, and after watching an episode of Shakespeare Uncovered,、uh, centering on this play, I think that's going to be the one that we want to see next. The girls and I decided, oh, maybe two or three years ago, that one of our goals was to watch every single play of Shakespeare's. And I think we must have about six to go. We should have、uh, watched them all by now. I think we've had plenty of time, but other things get in the way. But maybe we'll do it now. We'll、uh, fill in the gaps. I wonder if you like watching Shakespeare. Everybody in our family does. I think it's one of the passions that we've passed from person to person. Is Shakespeare a useful thing to know, to get to get familiar with? 
Well, it's on the school syllabus, obviously. But the way we approach Shakespeare, we don't write any essays or do any other exercises. We don't do Shakespeare in a formal way. But as I said, we do like to watch different versions of Shakespeare's plays. And we always have some really good discussions about the setting of the play, costumes, the actors who are in it, uh, the adaptation of the script, because most productions will leave out big chunks of script and they can give it a, a different slant according to what they choose to put into the, to their production. Yeah, and we really enjoy sitting down there and discussing all these issues with the play. The other thing that's really useful is the quotes. Shakespeare is just jam-packed full of wonderful lines which come in handy when you need a quote. So my girls don't formally learn quotes. They don't set out to learn them, but some of the quotes are just so wonderful. It captures their imaginations and they just naturally remember them and then they pull them out at appropriate moments, which is wonderful. Yeah, so when you're lost for words, Shakespeare can fill in that gap for us. Now, Gemma Rose has been doing a lot of reading this week. We went to the library maybe a week or so ago. A trip to the library might not sound that exciting for some people, uh, but it's a red-letter day for us. We have several small libraries in our area. The biggest one is about half an hour's drive away. And it would probably be classed as a small library compared to the libraries that are in cities. It's only a small town library, but we love it. It's our library and they do have a pretty good turnover of books. They get new books in or at regular intervals. And if I say to the girls, I have to go to town for an orthodontist appointment on Friday, shall we make it into a library visit at the same time? Oh, and the girls always, yeah, so excited. Yes, we're going to the library and they gather up all their books and we, it's a big trip into town to visit the library. We come home with stacks of books and keep the girls occupied for a week or so before we have to think about going back again. Yes, so Jim Rose has been reading her library books one after another, and it's really wonderful to see her enjoying books. Being able to read opens up a whole new world for children. They don't have to rely on us to read for them. And I think this is one of the reasons why parents are anxious for their children to learn to read. They want to open up that bigger, bigger world for their child. They enjoy reading themselves, and they want to share that reading with their children. Because, yeah, being able to read is a wonderful thing. I think there's a second reason why we want our children to read or why we are anxious that they become good readers early. And that is because of pressure from other people. The education authorities want us to show them that we can teach our children to read, that our children are thriving at home, that they don't need to go to school to learn such things as reading. And we also compete with other parents as well. Is your child reading? Mine is. Or you look at some other person and their children are reading at a very young age and then we feel a little bit anxious about our own child. So reading is a big deal. It, well, it can be a big deal. We might worry about it. Anyway, somebody in the week stopped by my blog and left a comment about learning to read. She wants to know 
how my children learnt to read in a, in a natural way. And firstly, I have to confess that reading is not one of the areas that I was very relaxed about. I made a lot of mistakes, and yeah, it wasn't always an enjoyable experience. But anyway, I'd just like to talk a little bit about learning to read. My eldest daughter learnt to read very easily, very early. She was ready to read. She wanted to read, and we just sat side by side for a few weeks. And I gave her some pointers on reading. We read together a lot, and before I knew it, she she was a fluent reader. It was a painless process, and I thought I was so clever. I thought, wow, I'm a really good teacher. Look, I've taught my daughter, my very first daughter, to read in a matter of weeks. And when she was six years old, she was reading the whole Anne of Green Gables series. And of course, I wasn't reluctant to share that with the other homeschooling people I knew. You know, my daughter, she's six years old, and she's already read all these books. Wow, we're really good. I came down to earth with my second child, though, because things didn't happen so easily for him. And then I realized that I hadn't taught. Taught my first daughter to read at all. She had learnt to read despite me. It was all her own doing. She was ready to read. She wanted to read, and she just asked the appropriate questions. I gave her the information, and she learnt to read. Yes, my second child, when he was about five, I decided that perhaps it was time for him to learn to read, and he wasn't ready. Looking back,、uh, I can see that, but I pushed. Because I had to register him as a homeschooler, and I thought it would be expected that he should be reading by a certain age. And I got anxious about it and decided, well, I've got to do something about this. And we spent some very, very frustrating times together as I tried to teach him to read, and he just wasn't picking up on it at all.、It、got to the point where I would get very angry with him, a lot of bad feelings about it. Uh, and I don't think reading should be like that at all. I would say things to him like, "What's wrong with you? Why can't you remember?" And I wouldn't want to give him the next word in that he was trying to read. I'd want him to sound everything out, and I'd jump up and down and make a big fuss about the whole thing. And I couldn't understand why he was so slow. And of course, he must remember what that word said. I gave it to him only five minutes ago. I was sure he was just. Being a trouble to me. Anyway, I went looking for some alternate way of helping him. I came across a book in the library about sharing reading, and I thought I would try this with him. And what it, the process was, you let a child choose a real book, a book they really want to read. Forget the readers, which are pretty boring. Ask your child to choose a book they really would like to read, because my son did want to read. I, I'm sure by the time we got to this point. Now this is what we did. We sat side by side with the book that my son had chosen, and I would volunteer to read the story to him. If he wanted to read, have a go at reading himself, all he had to do was to tap the page or tap my knee to indicate that he would like a turn in the driving seat. He would try and read it, and then as soon as he came to a word that he didn't know. Instead of getting him to sound it out or to sit there for those excruciating moments where I would try and force him to remember the word, I would instantly give him the word. But also, I would take over. 
I would put myself in the driving seat and just naturally continue the story so that we kept on reading and it, the story was the main focus that we would still enjoy reading it. And then when he wanted to take over again, all he had to do was tap again, tap my knee, and I would instantly let him uh, read. And we just kept doing this back and forth between us. And every time we came to a word that he wasn't sure of, it wasn't a problem because I, I just took over again. And it got to the point where he was tapping my knee almost instantly after I gave him the word because his confidence was growing. And this is how we read for quite a few few months, but he wasn't a fluent reader on his own. And when he was almost eight, we had a visit scheduled from the education department. Our authorized person was coming out for her two-yearly visit. And of course, she would want to see our homeschool records for the past two years, want to hear about progress in all areas, including reading. And I was wondering how I would explain to her that my son Duncan wasn't yet a fluent reader at practically eight. He would be eight by the time she arrived. Uh, would she think that this was a problem? I decided that I would just bluff my way through it, be very confident. Oh, he's well on to his way to learning to read. He enjoys reading. I'm sure it will happen any day now. And I thought, that's all I can do. Well, it's really funny because about three or four days before the AP came to see us, Duncan brought me a book and he said, come, I read you, Mum." So he sat down and he started to read and he didn't stop. Uh, he read page after page after page. It, it had all fallen into place. He was a fluent reader. So it does happen. A child just needs time. It happens when they're ready. I think by the time that Gemma Rose learnt to read fluently, I had learnt my lesson about learning to read. And I wrote a blog post a while ago about learning to read. Somebody else wanted me to write something about it and share some of my experiences. So I do have some positive points as well as telling you about the mistakes I've made. Uh, points that I, I could share with you today. I don't know whether you all agree or not, but anyway, I will just share these few points that I put together after I thought about the whole process of learning to read. I think it's okay to teach a child to read, that they don't have to pick it up all by themselves. If they want help, then it's quite all right to sit down next to them and give them some pointers, maybe find some resources that will help them learn to read as long as they're ready and as long as they're willing, as long as this is what they want to do. Yes, a child needs to be ready to read and want to learn because otherwise it's going to be very, very frustrating for everyone. It's going to be a waste of time and it can damage relationships. Yeah, I can remember some of the horrible things that I did say to my children, like, what's wrong with you? When will you ever learn? And these things can hurt children and can uh, damage their confidence. The right age to read is different for different children. So I, I think I illustrated that with the stories of my own children. Yeah, a method of learning to read has to take in the needs of the child. There's lots of different ways of learning to read, and some suit certain children more than others. So loads of different resources. If one thing doesn't work for a child who wants to learn to read, there's other choices. The way Duncan and I shared a book together, a real book, 
that really worked for us. Later on, Gemma Rose and I shared real books as well. Real books are much more enjoyable and, and they suited those children in particular very well. Maybe some children find reading more difficult than others and extra help might be needed. Sophie had difficulty remembering the sounds of the let, that the letters made and in the end I made her some drawings that were associated with each sound and so she had something visual to think about as she was sounding out words for herself and that helped her. And my next point I've written down here says, but then again, some children just might need more time rather than more help. Offering help when a child needs it and not withholding it until a mother feels the child needs it works best. And by this I mean when a child doesn't know a word, we give it to them. We don't withhold that information. We can help that child by telling them what the word is and it doesn't help to make them sound it out. Yet children will learn to read in their own time and not a mother's time. And sometimes lots of time is needed, or it can feel like lots of time. When things are frustrating, every minute feels like an hour when you're trying to get through a few lines of reading together. And sometimes when other people's children are reading very fluently and our children aren't, it can seem that a lot of time has passed and our children are growing up and they still haven't learned to read. And really... They're only little still. There's still plenty of time for them to learn to read. Children that learn to read at a later than average age catch up quickly. Yes, it's impossible to tell which of my children were early readers and which weren't. And there's something else I read on the internet the other day about learning to read. And that is, even if a child isn't reading, it doesn't mean that they're not learning other things. We might want our children to learn to read so that they can explore the world through books, but they might be learning in other ways, and so that if we concentrate on what they are learning rather than what they're not learning, this can give us confidence to be more relaxed about the whole, whole process. And if we choose to ignore the opinions of other people around us as well and to listen to our children instead of to other mothers or other authorities then we are more likely to uh, be relaxed about the whole thing. Yeah, it's n nobody else is more important than our children. They will get there in the end. Well, this is my experience anyway with my children. Well, that's a few things that have happened in the past week with my family. I just want to thank you for listening to my stories. If you would like to go over to my Facebook page, it's called Stories of an Unschooling Family. And if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that through iTunes or follow it through Podbean. I'll put a few notes up on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, maybe link to that uh, blog post I was telling you about learning to read, and I think there's several others there as well. And if you feel like going, hopping over to my daughter's blog, Sophie's blog, The Techno Maid, I'll leave a link for that as well. You might uh, read a few of her posts and if you stop by with a short comment, I'm sure that would be very encouraging for her. She's got a pretty good blog. It's very inter 
interesting, even though she's my daughter. She does put a lot of effort and thought and a lot of ideas into her blog. So that's one thing you could do. And until next time, I just like to say, trust, respect, and love unconditionally.